All right. Good morning, everybody. Good to see everybody today, and um, it is um, a great, great weekend um, that we're a part of, and hope you had a great one. Uh, several things to um, celebrate uh, throughout this past week. I, I want to say, first of all, um, Happy New Year um, to those celebrating Chinese New Year. Happy New Year to you. I um, hope you got to uh, celebrate well with family and friends, and um, we also um, wanted to uh, say, I don't think she's here today, but... Uh, sweet Darian had a birthday this past week. Yeah, that's right. Um, we had um, Krista. I don't, I don't think she's here today, but Krista had a birthday this past week. And dear and dear to my heart, my sweet, sweet girl, I have my, f- my first teenager in the house as of today. Sweet Mercy Bell has her 13th birthday. Yeah, that's right. So that's great. So um, it's, it's exciting and good. And we, I wanted to say that um, we look forward to celebrating with you in all of life's um, milestones as part of the goodness of our community. And um, we also wanted to um, say a big thank you. Um, many of you know that uh, we had uh, interns and also ongoing P- PCM students uh, from Moody serving out um, throughout the semester to reach out in the city. Um, Mikey's been leading a team. Um, others have been leading a team. Um, but where's Trevor? Trevor actually finished his um, first internship with us for the church, sowing hundreds of seeds for the gospel throughout this city this last semester. So can everybody say thank you for that? Okay. So, she, um, so Trevor finished out his um, internship, and we just wanted to say thank you for that. So, guys, we are um, going to be going into our series, um, and I'm sorry, finishing our series today, which has been called Let's Go to get the uh, semester started and the new year started um, in the <clears throat> 2017. Uh, again, we know a lot's been going on, uh, if anybody's um, on social media. I know everybody just needs to calm down, you know, and pray um, because we're going to continue to believe God for his goodness, believe God for his intervention, and believe God um, to really be sovereign over the nations. Amen? God is sovereign, and that's the God that we serve. We welcome him and to um, rule and to reign, and we, we trust him in the midst of everything. So, guys, um, it is good And it's like the song said, well with our souls. But how we're going to um, finish out this particular series is actually just through a two-part message, understanding God's nature in terms of pastoring and preaching, okay? Pastoring and preaching. When we talk about let's go, and I'm not talking about occupational ministry here. What I'm talking about is the people of God. Because the Ephesians, um, book of Ephesians is Paul's treatise to the church. And he's basically saying, here is how the church should look whenever they're serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And one of the things that he's done, um, meaning God himself, is that he's appointed apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers within the church, the church of Jesus Christ, um, to equip the saints for the works of ministry. That the body of Christ, as Ephesians says, might grow and build itself up in love as each part does its work. And so when we're talking about let's go um, today, we're going to talk about um, Jesus' ambition because over the past several weeks, we've talked about the fasting and the praying that we've done to ask God to move in our city and to believe him to do great things. We talked last week about after we leave the mountain, how do we remain in a place 
of fervent prayer and belief for him to do things. I'm talking about looking up to him and linking up with one another. Um, but we're going to talk today about um, finally how he uh, does that um, through pastoring and preaching. And so um, if you have a Bible today, we're going to look at the life of Jesus um, <clears throat> and how he demonstrated that. Uh, and we're going to look first in Matthew chapter 12, and then we're going to skip back to Matthew chapter 9. But before that, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your goodness uh, again towards us today. We continually say that, God, you're good. God, you're amazing. God, you're sovereign. God, you're in charge. God, we just look forward to worshiping you, not just now, but for eternity. And we say you're worthy of it all. And God, we pray that today, um, through your word, you would help us. Um, you would capture our thoughts. You would capture our attention. You would capture our affection. And God, you would help us to be encouraged by your word. Father, encouraged and have our hearts and our minds lifted to you and set at rest in you as we continue to follow you in your purposes. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so here we go. Pastoring and preaching. First of all, let's talk about pastoring. Um, Matthew chapter 12, let's read that together. It says, Jesus of Jesus during his earthly ministry. He went on from there and entered their synagogue. So Jesus is going throughout the nation of Israel. His ministry was in a 30-mile radius throughout the entirety of his three-and-a-half-year ministry prior to his death on the cross, his burial and resurrection. So he's going to from place to place, almost called like an itinerant preacher. But he went on from there and entered their synagogue, a place of worship for the Jewish population. And it says, And a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So they might accuse them. He said to them, Which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it, and lift it out. Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to them, stretch out your hand. I'm sorry, not to them, to the man. Stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored, healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him, how to destroy him. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there. And many followed him, and he healed them all, and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fill, fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench, until he brings justice to victory, and in his name the Gentiles will hope. Okay, so here we have um, Jesus, first of all. Um, Jesus' ministry was obviously comprised of at least two things, right? Um, whenever you summarize Jesus' ministry, you saw that he went out preaching the good news 
and driving out demons. I love that. If you're going to summarize Jesus' ministry, there was a teaching element or a proclaiming element to it, but then there was also a supernatural element to it, right? In our Western society, a lot of times we try to discount the things that are supernatural in the um, con, um, sort of the arsenal of God, but God will refuse us to limit him and box him into our naturalistic thinking, right? God says there's all a proclamation side, but then there's also a supernatural side. And so in actually summarizing Jesus' ministry, it said that he preached the good news and drove out demons, okay? But we also see that uh, Jesus was continually referred to by different terms. And one of the terms he was often referred to as is the good shepherd, right? The good shepherd who takes care of God's flock and takes care of God's sheep. And I think that it's often um, the case that whenever we're um, thinking about ministry, we often relegate it just to preaching. But whenever you preach and people are reached, you see how that rhymed right on time. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, but what you see, whenever you preach and people are reached, what you do is you have to, um, after that point, know how to care for the people who are in fact reached, right? God doesn't just care about reaching people and making sure that they believe the right things, but after they believe what's true and right about him, his kingdom and his ways, it's also imperative that we as the people of God following the good shepherd also know how to relate with and take care of one another as under shepherds of Christ in his kingdom purposes. And so if we're talking about the whole message, let's go, that's the mentality that we've got to adopt as we go into this new year. There are going to be continually people at our doorstep, and you may look around right now and even say, wait a minute, I have several friends that I recognize here, but there's somebody who's new, and I don't know that person, that person, that person, that person. And I, I look forward to getting to know um, um, several and really everybody in here, but I'm past the point where, like on a Sunday morning, I, I know everybody, and that's a, that's a good thing, right? But the good, but the good news is, is that um, we take care of one another, right? We take care of one another in the kingdom, and this is an example of it that Jesus gives us in this passage. And so, first of all, when we're thinking about pastoring, taking care of those whom God is entrusting to us, and when we talk about entrusting to us, all we talk about, all we mean by that is if somebody comes across our doorstep, if somebody's in the house of the Lord as we're gathering together, what are we as the people of God supposed to do? What are we, and what disposition and what type of responsibility do we have towards one another in terms of seeing God's full healing come about in people's lives and also um, his purposes push forward. So if we're talking about pastoring, we're going to break it down into three sections real quick. And we're going to talk about like this in the section of understanding that people need to be vulnerable, they need to be vested, and they need to have an expectation of victory. Okay. Number one, they need to be vulnerable with one another. Number two, they need to be vested. And then number three, they need to have an expectation of victory in terms of the pastoring process. Okay, let's look at this scripture together. It said, he went from there and entered their synagogue. Every time we come together, week after week, it's much as the Israelites did um, in the, throughout the Old Testament in the Jewish diaspora, wherever they were scattered outside of the temple worship in Jerusalem, when the Babylonian judgment came against them, the Israelites were scattered, right? Far and wide in the uh, known world at the time. But what they did is they established synagogues so that the worship of God could continue to go forward. The 
preaching of God's law and his word can continue to be preserved amongst the Jewish people. And that was actually part of the signs and the wonders amongst the nations throughout history is that any other nation that was ransacked by foreign armies or ransacked um, by foreign nations and dispersed amongst the nations ceased to be a nation, right? You look throughout history and you look even in the Old Testament at several of the ites like the Philistines or the Amalekites or the, you know, Jebusites or all of these things. These were once nations that existed, had their own borders and territories and their own identities amongst each other. But when they were ransacked and pillaged and spread amongst the nations, they ceased to be a people, right? The other, but on the other hand, in the Israelite history, part of God's sovereignty amongst his people is that even when I disperse you, you're not going to cease to be a nation because I'm going to still be moving amongst you. And in fact, I'm going to bring you back to the land that I had for you according to my promise as a sign and a wonder and a testimony to the nations that I'm the God who builds nations and I'm the God who tears them down, right? I'm the one who exalts and I'm the one who humbles. I'm the one who really wants my purposes to go forward through my people. And we see that with the Israelites. So even in the diaspora that was taking place, they were, we meet meeting in these synagogues for worship. And it said there was a man with a withered hand, a withered hand. And so we see that even with the Israelite law back in the day, there were um, certain um, rules about temple worship, at least, where people who were disfigured or dismembered couldn't go into the um, inner place to worship God. And so there, were, um, there, there was, in a sense, though he was able to worship in the synagogue, there was a sense of brokenness about this man, right? Where basically he had uh, something that was holding him back. And I know we look at this uh, particular issue, and we a lot of times may not know somebody who had a physical impairment like a, a, a withered hand, but it might be not physical but emotional that we're dealing with on a daily basis. You know I mean, it might be that we're coming across people who um, might feel withered in their souls. And I think throughout life, because of the product of sin in people's lives, many of us have felt the repercussions of sin coming from broken families, coming from damaging or violating relationships, coming from situations where we've been oppressed or dejected in various ways. And because of that, people feel withered, not necessarily physically, but they can feel withered emotionally. They can feel withered mentally. They can feel withered in their ability to even interact with one another in a healthy manner. And how many people have ever felt that way before or actually known family members or friends who've been in that situation, right? You might feel that way right now and say, well, I can't raise my hand because I feel withered in my soul. And that's understandable. That's understandable. But what did Jesus do in the midst of that setting? What did Jesus do in the midst of that type of environment? Well, he said that he pastored the people. You might think that in this situation that it was um, Jesus almost putting a man, that man on the spot. You could have thought for years, if you imagine that man, that he was oftentimes not trying to highlight but trying to hide the thing that he was dealing with. Just like, for instance, if people have been hurt or violated, we don't want to talk about things a lot of times, but as much as possible, we want to cover over things. We want to hide the things that have shaped us. We want to hide the things that have hurt us or disappointed us, but actually, actually affect us on a daily basis. And what we see is that Jesus, in pastoring him, he didn't allow the man to hide, but it's interesting, he called the man to be vulnerable, 
he called the man to be vulnerable. And if Jesus was going to heal you in an instance or in a setting like this, the last thing, if you felt that you had some sort of hurt, some sort of pain, some sort of um, disability even that you were um, dealing with, the last thing you would want Jesus to do is to tell you to stand up in front of everybody and stretch out your hand. How many people think that this is a bit odd? Anybody at all? I read this for the first time and I was like, whoa, Jesus? That's kind of insensitive, right? <laughs> you know? And he's like, no, it's, it's actually not. I'm actually always looking beyond just the immediate. I'm looking beyond just what it looks like on the surface, and I'm trying to do a deeper work in people's souls, right? Whenever you see even the paralytic or the man who was crippled, and remember the friends who brought this paralytic to Jesus and they tore open the roof and lowered the mat down in front of Jesus and asked him to heal them. Do you remember that story? You know, and obviously the man wanted to be healed from his paralysis, but the first thing that Jesus said to him was, hey, listen, son, your sins are forgiven. Anybody ever think that was odd? I did. I was like, well, Jesus, I came to you for looking for physical healing, and you're telling me my sins are forgiven. What was Jesus doing? Jesus was going to the deeper issue, right? And so in the same way with this man with the shriveled hand, he said to him, stretch out your hand. And I'm going to ask you, obviously he was dealing with the religiosity of the people. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? They're always trying to catch Jesus and um, find a way to persecute him. But he moves past all of that. He's like, listen, if you take care of your sheep, obviously I can take care of this man who's like my sheep. He said to him, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored. If Jesus is going to heal us, I can't say this gently enough, but the first thing that we're going to need to learn to do is to be vulnerable enough to expose the thing that he needs to heal. To expose the thing that he needs to heal. If you go to a physician and you go to a doctor, you cannot dance around the issue, right? The physician will ask you questions and probe you and prod you, trying to help you, but you cannot dance around the issue if you expect to get helped, right? Jesus said that he is the great physician. And whenever he's trying to deal with things, either physically, emotionally, or mentally, the first thing that he requires of us is vulnerability before him to step out and say, I trust you. you I actually believe you that you can do something in my heart, mind, and soul to touch me and change me and heal me if I'll allow you to. In a context like ours, and even in the synagogue context that they had uh, there in this story, we see that Jesus was not just so much concerned that he, this man with the shriveled hand was stretching it out and being vulnerable with him, right? Because there were times that Jesus healed people in private. There were times that Jesus took people even outside of the city, right, and said, went to a private place and said, hey, listen, here's some um, <clears throat> mud in your eyes or I'm going to spin in your eyes. You know, that's another one of my favorites. You know, I, I remember being a young, zealous Christian and thinking about doing such things, and I felt like the Holy Spirit said, nope. <laughs> anyway, but the point is, is that um, <clears throat> Jesus did things in private, but he also did things in public. 
He also did things in public. Why? Because he doesn't want just vulnerability with him. He wants vulnerability with one another as well. Part of how he pastors you is through the physical expression that he gives you in the men and women on your right and your left, your brothers and your sisters on your right and your left, who the Holy Spirit, yes, does the work and speaks to you, but then he also gives you people who see you and can also be the voice of God to you, be the encouragement of God to you, be the counsel of God to you to minister to those broken and withered areas in your life. He says, but to do it, you've got to be vulnerable. You've got to let them know what the issues are. Where does the pain hurt? On a scale of 1 to 10, where is it? Right? On a scale of 1 to 10, you know what I mean? Show me where the exact issue is. And we, some of us have been walking with limps for so long because we've just been in a state of denial. And God's like, part of how I'm going to heal you is actually helping you to identify the things that have had you walking with a limp, right? If you've been an athlete before, and you, you, you've been hurt in a game, right? And then the coach immediately, if they're like hardcore, they send you right back into the game. And then it's sort of like you try as you might, you're, you're only going to damage yourself further if you go back into the game without being fully healed, right? And yes, we'll get to the part about preaching when everybody wants to like get their strength and their zeal together and say, yes, let's take the mountain for God, right? But, but it's like, okay, I want to take the mountain for God, but I don't have the strength to do it. Why? Because I'm trying to run, but my, 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 uh, like I have a broken femur, right? And it's sort of like, yeah, like let's jump, and you immediately collapse. And people are always spending their time picking you back up and saying, get back on the bench, because there's never been any healing for the issues that are really besetting us. But he's like, if I can just get you to admit it, to identify it, and deal with things with vulnerability, then we can heal you, then we can strengthen you, and then you can get back in the game and you can actually play. Does that make sense? Vulnerability is the issue. And that's why we encourage so often community groups that is why Erica's highlighting these things week after week. It's not so that we can just have a touch point throughout the week that just demands something else of your time. It's so that you can look someone else in the eye and actually be vulnerable in a smaller setting, right? Where you can actually talk with somebody and say, hey, listen, this is how I've been thinking. This is how I've been feeling. What is the truth of God? These are the lies that have been defining me for years. These are the things that have been besetting my marriage. These are the things that have been besetting my personal life. I don't know how to get over this. And in a safe place, like the synagogue was, in a safe place like our community group, sorry, he says, stretch out your hand in front of everybody. Stretch it out. And when we're vulnerable, that's when he says, I can touch you and it'll be healed. And this is especially I'm going to tell you, it's, it's both true for men and women. But as a man, I'm just speaking to men especially. I'm making an appeal to you to be vulnerable as well. Amen, guys? Because a lot of times, you know, it's sort of like you're taught that this like false sense of masculinity where it's sort of like, well, I got I to have it all together. I got to beat my chest. You know what I mean? I got to, you know, grunt and spit. You know what I mean? And like, you know, everything's going to be okay. And God's like, No. You're broken. You're broken, and I want to heal you. 
And some of our women, you know, have been in relationships before where they've tried to put themselves out there, but they've been hurt and backstabbed and disappointed. Anybody have something like that happen before? And they're like, I can't put myself out there again. But you can imagine the man with the withered hand having the same thing happen to him before, right? Trying to pick something up and dropping it over and over again. And somebody's like, okay, again? (laughs) We're just insensitive towards one another a lot of times, right? And he says, but if I'm going to heal you, I need you to be vulnerable. I need you to be vulnerable, but I also need you to be, number two, vested. need you to be vested, right? The only reason that this man was even in a position to do it is that he was vested enough in that synagogue community that Jesus was able to identify him and say, okay, you, today is your day. You, Right? And many times we come into settings, worship settings like this over and over again. And it's almost like we can feel like God's looking at everybody else and looking over me, passing over me. Anybody ever feel that way before? Everybody else is hearing a word from the Lord. Everybody else is getting a touch from God. Everybody else is leaving strengthened. But I feel forgotten about. Remember, this wasn't Jesus' first healing, was it? This wasn't Jesus' first act of ministry and supernatural power. Jesus had been ministering, but finally that day he shows up in that synagogue and said, today, with man with the withered hand, it's your day. It's your day. I haven't forgotten about you. I'm not overlooking you. If you've been waiting on me, just know I've got you in mind. And because you're vested, Because you're faithful enough to keep showing up and say, God Almighty, I'm going to rejoice with those who rejoice who've gotten their healing before, but I'm going to mourn with those who mourn who are waiting on you. But God, I'm vested and I'm in a place where when you call upon me and you call my number, right? You call my number. I'm willing, I'm ready, and I'm waiting. If you're hungry right now, right? It's like I eat breakfast Sunday mornings, but I get hungry like an hour later. And if you hear something, I'm sorry. You know, it's sort of like, but I go to the, like, what are we, where do we go? Like, it's not a fresh market? Fresh market and sort of like, they, it's so popular, they make you take a number and stand in that line. I'm waiting. Like, call my numbers. <laughs> it's my turn. And if you're going to get healing from God, not only do you need to be vulnerable, but you need to be vested enough in the community where he can actually call your number, call your name, and say, stretch out your hand. There is no place in the kingdom of God for personal, isolated spirituality. Okay? Everybody? Can we say amen to that? The generation tries to tell us that it's all about your personal beliefs, but it's not. It's all about, it's about, it's about truth that overarches. It's a meta-narrative, right? It's a meta-narrative that encompasses everything, and there are what's right and what's wrong. There is what's true and what's false. And when God's bringing you into community, he's bringing you into it so that you could be vested and then he could call your number. But then you, as, he, as you do that, it's, it's, not just, it's not just with an attitude of, I'm here to do what you're going to do. We'll see what happens. If the man was going to be willing enough to stretch out his hand, he had to believe that something was on the other side of that besides his embarrassment. Okay? 
Isn't that true? If he was going to stretch out his hand, if you're going to have the courage or the confidence to get vulnerable and vested with people, it's because you believe something's going to actually happen when you do. Right? Otherwise, he could have just walked out of that synagogue and said, No, Jesus, I'm already in enough pain. No, Jesus, I've already gone through this before, been disappointed before. Jesus, I'm out of here. I'm not going to let you use me as an example. I'm not going to let you humiliate me and allow my life to remain the same. He had to have an expectation of victory. He had to have an expectation that as he was vulnerable, as he obeyed the command of God, as he was vested and did it God's way, that God would come through on his promise. This is why when Matthew's recounting his narrative of this, he immediately, after the man stretches out his hand and it's restored, goes into quoting the prophet, right? Goes into quoting, and then all he's doing is reading from, <coughs> reciting what they read over and over again in the synagogues as the prophet had the Spirit of God speaking um, upon him and was speaking by the Spirit of God, speaking of God's heart and God's nature and God's um, um, ability to do things. He was saying, Listen, I'm giving you an expectation, I'm giving you a hope, I'm giving you something that you need to look forward to as you come to this Jesus. And they read it. You can imagine them reading the same scripture over and over again, year after year, in the synagogue. And it's why we encourage you, even outside of this time, to read your Bible over and over and over and over again. If you've read it before, good. You've had an appetizer, but you eat more and more and more and more. And the eternal God never gets old. His word never gets stale. How many people know that when you're reading the same thing over and over again, he's continually bringing out new aspects of himself, new understandings of his heart, new understandings of his ways and how he does things. But it's building a firm foundation in you that gives you an unshakable faith, an unshakable expectation as this man with the withered hand had. So instead of responding to Jesus and saying, I don't trust you, you can understand that this man had been vested week after week, year after year with that shriveled hand. And then finally, Jesus the Messiah shows up. And he heard about all that Jesus could do when he came. And then when Jesus is finally calling his number, saying, stretch out your hand, he's like, yes, it's my turn. I get to be part of the story. I get to be part of the story. I'm going to link my faith to what I've been hearing over and over again. And I'm willing to stretch out my hand because I have an expectation of victory. What expectation of victory? It's what he said. Let's read it again. He said this was, as Jesus, um, many followed him, even as he left the synagogue, he healed them and all and ordered them not to make him known, but this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold my servant whom I have chosen. Speaking of Jesus, speaking of the Messiah who is to come, speaking of the Messiah who still lives and rules and reigns over all creation today. He says, he's my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. 
Do not quarrel or cry out, cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. And this man with the withered hand had to know, had to know, had to know. You know it was almost like when, you, when you're dealing with something, right, you have certain hallmark scriptures. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody ever like have deal with something before and you had certain scriptures that you held on for for dear life? You know what I'm saying? Whether it be you need an encouragement, you just need some joy for your soul because you were dealing with depression. It's like, well, you know, like sorrow comes at night, but joy comes in the morning. You're like quoting it every day, right? Or something that you needed physical healing for, something that you needed emotional healing. You're clinging to the scripture for dear life. But you can imagine this man with the withered hand hearing this over and over again, reading from the scrolls, reading from Isaiah the prophet. It said about this Jesus, he's a good shepherd. He's a good pastor. Not only will he not quarrel or cry out, but he said, a bruised reed. A bruised reed he will not break. And a smoldering wick he will not quench. A bruised reed he will not break. And a smoldering wick he will not quench. And even if you feel strong in the Lord and the strength of his might today, as you should... This is also good news for you because there may be times that you don't. And when you don't, he said, a bruised reed, I will not break in a smoldering wick, right? I will not snuff out. Isn't that good news that that's the heart of God towards you? That's the heart of God towards me. If you've been trying, you've been giving it your all, but you feel like a flickering flame feel like a flickering flame. Let me tell you, God doesn't despise you. God doesn't cast you out. Do you understand that? God says, I give you what you need to continue to burn. Brightly. That's why David in the Psalms, in the midst of all his trials and his battles, he said, it's the Lord. I can't do it on my own, but it's the Lord who keeps my lamp burning. It's the Lord who keeps my lamp burning. That's why I get in his face day by day because I need him to breathe life into me just like he breathed life into Adam once again. You can imagine the man with the withered hand thinking about this. But he said, listen, it's not enough that he's compassionate or pastors, but it's also that there's an end goal, right? He said, he will not quench the smoldering wick until he brings justice to victory. And in his name, the Gentiles, not just the Jews, but the Gentiles, right? Because the Jews were the ones who already had his work. And this is, if this is new to you, you're a Gentile. You understand that, okay? It's like if the, the, not just the Jews, not just people who grew up in church, not just people who had the law, but also the Gentiles. It's good news for you too. It's not just for the people who've been around it all their lives. It's for you today if this is new for you. Jesus is here for you today just as he's here for other people who sit around you and they're familiar with this passage. If this is the first time you're hearing it, he said, this is victory being proclaimed to you as well. Jesus has this for you as well. But it was the expectation of the man with the withered hand. I have victory in store. When I stretch out my hand, I'm going to be healed. 
Now, what does that mean for us as we're trying to live for God and we're trying to follow him in the good shepherd's heart and pastor as under shepherds of Christ one another? We've got to understand that just as this man had this withered hand, there are going to be people who come in and actually are looking for a touch from God with a withered soul. They might have a physical ailment, but they may have something that's going on in their minds or in their hearts that have them broken. And what are we as imitators of God to do? Well, Paul the Apostle, when he was writing to the Gentile church, he actually spoke about these things in 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 through 14. You can read it later, but I'm just going to actually give you an excerpt from, um, once again, I referenced before Oswald Chambers, but again, it's one of, from one of his devotionals talking about <coughs> how we can deal with one another in a manner that's reflective of the pastoring heart of God. And this particular scripture is uh, in the King James Version. Anybody grew up on the King James? Okay. Yep. <laughs> well, whither, thither, to if. Okay. So, <laughs> okay. It's, uh, this is King James, but I'm also going to speak to it um, from the ESV, which we normally read out of. And this is um, basically from the King James. He says this. Now, we exhort you, Paul, giving an instruction to the church about how to pastor one another, just like the good shepherd, right? He said, we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, right? And a lot of times we jump immediately to that, right? If we're going to preach, if we're going to be the church, we're going to warn the sinners. That's right. Hellbound folk, be warned. Okay. Let the adrenaline die down for a minute, okay? He says, Relax. Relax, right? No shout or cry out <laughs> on Michigan Avenue. All right? <laughs> I'm just kidding. If he tells you to do it. All right. He says, now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort. This is a command. Comfort the feeble-minded. And part of why I'm going to um, read out of the ESV as well is because People don't really have a context for feeble mind. They're like, you insult me. I smack you with my glove. It's like, no, no, no. <laughs> okay. 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 The feeble-minded, okay, is actually translated in the ESV as the faint-hearted. Okay. And people can relate with that. Like, don't call me feeble-minded, but faint-hearted, yes, you get me. Okay. I hear you. Okay. Comfort the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Be patient toward all men. Be patient toward all men. This is what Oswald Chambers says. He says, if there is one thing that God has taught me in the past six years, is uh, a, recording, a recording from one of his preachings. He says, if there's one thing that God has taught me in the past six years, it is that he can minister to a mind diseased. He can breathe into that mind his cleanness, his balm, his restoration. And in this scripture verse, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul admonishes us to comfort the feeble-minded, otherwise known as faint-hearted, support the weak, be patient toward all men. Some servants of God find it very easy to obey the first command in that verse, meaning to warn the unruly, right? But they forget the other two. It is far easier to warn the unruly than it is to comfort the feeble-minded or to comfort the faint-hearted. Anybody ever find that true? I am apt to forget the long way it took God to bring me to this point in the divine life. 
and I lose patience with other folks if they do not see at once what I now see. But God's word exhorts me to be patient with all people. It brings to mind the question, how long did it take God to put you where you are now? How long did it take? If you feel strong, how long did it take for God to get you there? Was it something that happened overnight? Or was it something that God had to be very patient with you toward over the course of time? Not, smolder, not snuffing out your smoldering wick or my smoldering wick. Not breaking me when I was a bruised reed. Do you remember that? And this is a prayer that he says, Oh Lord, make me mindful of my own weakness when I'm prone to lose patience with the weakness of another. If we're going to pastor well, we've got to have that type of mentality towards one another. But the goal is, is that when we do, that eventually we'll be like the man with the shriveled hand growing in strength. And as we do, we'll be able to go out and preach the good news of Christ. That just as he's ministered to me, he can minister to you. Just as he's healed me, he can heal you, right? And so we see, finally, going back to the preaching part, Matthew chapter 9, this is where we'll end. Matthew chapter 9, Jesus was not only giving the example of the man with the withered hand, but he was also giving an example of what his end goal was as he was ministering to the crowds. He said this, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel, the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. Whether you believe it or not, Jesus says the harvest is plentiful. You know what that means? There are people willing and waiting to respond to Jesus if we would just talk to them about the good news and believe. He said, I'm telling you, regardless of what you see, your friends, your family members, your neighbors, your co-workers, they are ready to believe. I'm telling you, it's plentiful. But he said, there's one thing that I'm lacking. He said, the laborers are few. So as we're coming off of the mountain what should we be praying for? He said, pray for this. It's, it's, it's easy when Jesus gives us a sort of an assist, right? Anybody like watching basketball? Sort of like one of my favorite things is watching the assist. I don't like a whole lot of one-on-one plays. I like, listen, go get to the hole, but then throw it to somebody else, right? Working as a team. And it's sort of like Jesus is like giving us an assist saying, I'm going to teach you how to pray. And if I want you to pray anything, these, this is one of the things I want you to pray. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the work of the few, therefore pray. Pray for what, Jesus? I don't know what to pray for. Pray earnestly. Earnestly. If I seem excitable today, it's because I'm earnest. Right? The importance of being earnest. That's right. All right. But anyway, he says, he says, they said, therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field. Ask God for it. 
over and over again. I'm asking him for laborers, asking him for, for people who've been touched and healed, that they might get healed and then go out into the harvest field to reap the harvest that he's already purchased through his death, burial, and resurrection from the dead. And the good news is, is that it doesn't end in uh, Matthew chapter 9, but it goes immediately into Matthew chapter 10. Anybody read it like that before? Listen, that's a good point. If you're reading your Bible, we have chapters and verses today. They didn't have that at first. You understand that? They just read it straight through. And when they were reading it straight through, they read that Matthew chapter 9, got to Matthew 10, and Jesus said, pray for the laborers to go out into the harvest field. Then he looked immediately to the people who he was speaking to and said, you go. <laughs> he said, you pray, and then you go. <laughs> You pray, and then you go. So, wait, 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 Jesus, I, I thought I'm, my ministry is the prayer ministry. I've been gifted as an intercessor, which can be true. But he says, pray, and then go. Pray, and then go. Get your healing, and then share that healing. Share that healing. Praying for laborers. Get inspiration from people like Victor Hugo and Les Mis, who said it is nothing to die. It is frightful not to live. Get inspiration from people like Mother Teresa, who said yesterday is gone. I don't care what happened yesterday, but yesterday is gone. Tomorrow has not yet come. We only have today. Let us begin. Let us begin today, right? We think about John Stott who said this, why is it that some Christians cross land and sea, continents and cultures as missionaries? What on earth impels them? It is not in order to commend a civilization, an institution, an ideology, right? That's important in our times today, right? Where people are talking about, well, you can't really tell anybody what's right and wrong and what's true and not true. Well, listen, he's saying something different. It says it's to commend a person. It's to commend a person, Jesus Christ, whom they believe to be unique. And do you not believe Jesus to be unique and the one who can actually heal and save and the only one who has life in him? The answer should be yes. And finally, Rabbi Zechariah said, listen, we have a right to believe whatever we want, but not everything we believe is right. Not everything is what we believe is right. Why do we have to go and preach? Because not everything people believe is right. Amen? And God's saying, proclaim the truth. Proclaim this gospel. Proclaim this good news. Proclaim this word. When we're talking about let's go, get your healing, and then proclaim it. And for those who are socially aware and have social justice running through their veins, anybody got social justice running through your veins? Yes, good. We want to be the hands and feet of Jesus, right? But Jesus had inspired, I believe, C.S. Lewis to say this in Mere Christianity. Anybody ever read Mere Christianity before? Okay, he said this. He said, hope is one of those theological virtues. This means that a, continually, a continual rather, looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things that a Christian is meant to do. It does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. The apostles themselves, 
who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. Does that convict anybody? It does me. And he says, you need to be ready to pastor and then to preach. You want to be the hands and feet of Jesus? Have this as a mentality. So before we worship today, we're going to end with a song that I feel like can be like an anthem cry. An anthem cry. I'm not going to sing it to you. Don't worry. Everybody's getting nervous. Like, okay. <laughs> All right, I hear you. Okay. It's like, like an anthem cry going out in the streets as we've been pastored and then going to preach. Everybody's got a blank page, a story they're writing today, a wall that they're climbing. You can carry the past on your shoulders. You can start over regrets, no matter what you've gone through, Jesus. He gave it all to save you. He carried the cross on his shoulders, so you can start over. Don't let your heart be troubled, don't be afraid To the broken hearted, that wishes bad Never been born, never been torn, never sinned, never disobeyed I know you think there's no hope, no, but that ain't true Jesus saved I know you feel a regret, like I brought this all on myself Like I messed it up big time and this time I don't deserve God's help Thinking, how can God forgive me? After knowing what I hid, can he? After knowing that I hid from him and I stayed away and backslid. Listen, Jesus came for the sick. So true. Jesus came for the weak. Amen. Jesus came to give good news and to set the captives free. Amen. Listen, Jesus came for the poor. Amen. Jesus came with the keys. Amen. Jesus came to remove the chains so the prisoners can be released. Sent the sons of men can come and be free and gotta run.